How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Our souls long, indeed they faint, for the courts of the living God. Let us worship the Lord our God. O Lord, with my whole heart, before the gods I sing your praise. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted your name and your word above everything. On the day I call, you answer me. You increase my strength. Faithful God, we come into your presence with thanksgiving, deeply grateful for the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown toward us, your people. When we call out to you, you answer. When we are exhausted, you give us the strength to go on. When we find ourselves in trouble, you are there standing beside us. And so we come before you with gratitude and praise offering you the worship of our hearts and lives. Grace and peace to you from the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both those gathered here in this sanctuary and everyone worshiping in other locations. We are glad and grateful to join together in the worship of God. Because we greet one another in the name of Jesus Christ, that means that our word of welcome is extended with no qualifying adjectives whatsoever attached to it. All are welcome in God's house, and all are welcome here. We are indeed glad to be together. 
Normally at this point in the service, I've been studying for several weeks, I would invite you for a time of fellowship. We're holding off just a little bit longer, but if the numbers continue to improve at the rate they have been improving, I am hopeful we will be able to gather again in Old Buttonwood and enjoy a cup of coffee and a cookie sooner rather than later, but we'll keep you apprised of that. Uh, please do keep your masks on throughout the service unless you are leading worship like Megan and I are. We, uh, we have recently both COVID tested negative in order to be able to remove our masks so that we can speak more freely to you. Uh, I'd like to highlight a few things from the announcements portion of your bulletin for your particular attention today. Uh, the first is that we have an ongoing series of interfaith contemplative practices led by the Reverend Margaret Somerville that takes place on Wednesday evenings by Zoom. You do need to sign up for that so that you can receive the Zoom link, and you may do so through the church office. Also, the session has called a congregational meeting for next Sunday at 10 a.m., that is between the services here in the sanctuary, but also as a hybrid meeting. That means we'll have to do things a little bit differently so that we can accommodate the hybrid aspect of the meeting so that those who are unable to be in person or uncomfortable being in person may still participate. So look for information about that this week. And you will need to sign up for the hybrid aspect of that. If you're, if you're going to be here in the sanctuary, just sign up like you normally would for worship, uh, and then we'll, we'll check you in as you come in. But if you are using Zoom to participate in that meeting, you will need to sign up for that so that we can send you the Zoom link, as well as our information for uh, our congregational reports. Um, the reasons for that meeting are stated in your bulletin, and I commend that to your attention. Uh, finally, today is a Communion Sunday. You will see that we have the Communion element set up, and you should have received a Communion kit as you entered the sanctuary. If you did not receive a Communion kit, just give us a high sign, and we'll make sure the ushers bring a kit down to you. It looks as though everyone is well-equipped with Communion kits. So, with that noted, let us continue our worship with a confession of sin. Let us turn to the Most Holy One and confess our sin, first together and then in a time of silence, confident in God's faithfulness and steadfast love for us. Holy God, remind us of our baptism as we prepare to come to your table. Remind us that you have called us to be your own, and yet we've turned aside from our calling. We have indulged ourselves to the detriment of others. We remain centered on ourselves and forgotten your call to love our neighbors. Offered depth, we prefer the shallow waters. Forgive us and turn us once more to you. Call us again and give us the strength to follow. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. temple, Isaiah heard these words, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. God's grace toward us has not been in vain. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven.
Our first scripture reading this morning comes to us from the prophet Isaiah in the sixth chapter, starting with the first verse. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter. Here, the final section of this letter. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, 
I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Our gospel lesson is taken from the fifth chapter of Luke. The first 11 verses of that chapter continue to listen for the word of God. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them, out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put him a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. <clears throat> when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty, eternal God, grant now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts may be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Every year when the weather turns cold, not just a chill in the air, but good and cold like it has been for the last few weeks, when... The weather is such that one considers whether it is possible to slide in between the blades of the radiator to finally get warm. I remember my first winter in Indianapolis. We had wind chill that year of 20 below zero in December. Now that is cold. And every time I recollect that winter, I remember that someone from Michigan would invariably make fun of the thin-blooded Southerners by reminding us that it isn't really cold until you have to plug in your car to keep it from freezing. I was not amused by the comparison. Honestly, what good comes of comparing ourselves to others? I distinctly remember when I interviewed for the job, I asked one of the ministers who went on to become a great friend of mine, just how cold does it really get? And he replied, it's about the same as Princeton. 
20 below is nothing like New Jersey. Later I said, you know, you told me it gets about as cold as Princeton here. I'm starting to think that was a great big lie. And Tom replied, about is a relative word. Compared to Minnesota or Miami, it's about the same as Princeton. I was not amused by the comparison. Going to new places invariably involves a bit of change, doesn't it? Arguably, going to new places offers us the opportunity to go deeper, to develop richer experiences, to see the world and others in it in fresh ways, perhaps even to strengthen our interior lives. Some might even say we are afforded the opportunity to go out into the deep water. It's interesting the difference between how John presents this version of the story and how Luke does. In John's Gospel, the version, a version of this story occurs at the very end, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, when the disciples, Peter in particular, needed redemption for their failures. So to them, Jesus asks, have you no fish? And they resoundingly answer, no. It's an epilogue. It's the end of the story, when Jesus comes to, to bring Peter back into the flock after his betrayal and, and his denial. But in Luke's version of the story, this appears near the beginning. Jesus is only just starting to call his disciples. They do not yet know him. He is establishing the relationship, issuing the call. But what the versions have in common is that, in both cases, Jesus asks his disciples to do something different. And when they do, their nets are filled to bursting. In John, Jesus says, drop your nets on the other side of the boat. Make a change, even a tiny one, and see what happens. In Luke... Jesus says, put out into the deep water. Now surely, fishermen don't need tips on fishing from a carpenter. These guys have fished every day of their lives. They know what they're doing. They have gone through the ordinary routine processes of tending nets, rowing out into the sea and dropping their lines for years they probably learned their trade from their forebears. I would guess they're pretty decent fishermen. But Jesus says, do something different. And their nets are filled to bursting. Then Jesus calls them to follow him, to do something really new, to go to a new place. And sometimes where Jesus calls them to go will be easy. There's not much change involved. And then other times, the places Jesus calls his disciples to go are much harder to follow. Sometimes their world will be turned upside down. They will have to grow. Their lives will have to expand. To be called to Christian discipleship is to be called to embrace both what is easy and also what is hard, and to trust in God in both instances and everywhere in between. God's calling on our lives is not always a cataclysmic event. Everything that Christ calls us to do will not be the theological equivalent of scaling Mount Everest. Much faithfulness is lived in the midst of the mundane. So friends, let's hear it for the ordinary. Let's have a round of applause for everyone who is kinder in the checkout line just because they are Christians. For everyone who teaches Sunday school because they believe we need to think together about important things if we're going to be faithful 
to Jesus Christ. Let's wax poetical about the people who love children who are not their own for no reason other than that we are in Christian community with one another. Let's have a rip-snorting celebration of all the folks who give from their substance year after year, asking nothing in return but that the church be the church. Because seriously, I am going to hazard a guess that 98% of our lives, if not more, reflect a calling to be better, more human versions of ourselves in situations that are the moral equivalent of deciding between french fries and a side salad. Sure, the decision may have an impact, but the world won't be rocked by the choice. It's just an opportunity to make better decisions and to be better humans because we believe Christ calls us to be. Our spiritual journeys are not up for comparison. They are individual. They are unique to each of us. We learn as we live. We grow as we experience what God gives us to experience. But every once in a while, Christ does call us out into the deep water in our discipleship and in our understanding. And I have come to believe that in those moments when Christ calls us to go out into the deep water, it is the summation of all of those ordinary moments that equips us to be able to do so. To go a little deeper. A couple of weeks ago, I recounted for you the story of how a choir I sang in when I was in seminary sang the last stanza of Amazing Grace in canon and how it forced me to hear the words of that song in a way that I had never heard them before. So that's probably what put that song on my mind this week. And many of you probably already know the story that goes with that hymn of how John Newton, the hymn's author, went to sea at the age of 11. When he was 19, he was drafted into the British Navy. He didn't like it, so he deserted and was captured and publicly whipped and demoted. Then he asked for a transfer to a slave ship where he was abused by the captain. At the age of 23, a friend of his father came upon him and rescued him from that situation. And then he became later the captain of his own ship where he too enslaved people. One time in a storm with his ship on the edge of sinking, Newton cried out, Lord, have mercy upon us. And later he came to believe that God had called him through that storm. He converted to Christianity. Later in life, he became ill, and so he stopped trafficking humans and became the surveyor of tides in a seaside community. There he met a preacher who captured his imagination, and he himself went on to become a minister. And then through the irony of God's grace, the slave trader turned minister preached to William Wilberforce, who went on to lead the campaign to abolish slavery in the United Kingdom. During the course of his ministry, Newton wrote the words to the hymn, Amazing Grace. Uh, there's a, a stanza I've never seen in any modern hymnal. It reads, When this flesh and heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. I wonder if he was reflecting back on that stanza when at the end of his life he was asked what he remembered and he said, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. Now, invariably, when preachers tell that story, congregations tend to love it. And they tend to love it, I think, for, for one key reason, because it speaks to the ability of anyone in the mercy of God to change, to become a better more human 
version of themselves, even if what they have done up to that point is simply dreadful by any standard. So I believe that's why we love it. But a few summers ago, I heard the Reverend Otis Moss III preach at Chautauqua, and something he said about this, this hymn that week has never left me. I'm paraphrasing here because it's been a while since I heard him, but Moss preached that while the story of John Newton is a perfectly fine story, it's not the whole story. It can't be the whole story because it fails to tell the story of that storm from the perspective of the enslaved people. Moss says we can go deeper. The story, he said, really goes that, yes, the storm was raging, to be sure, and, and Newton certainly called out to God, have mercy upon me. But we tell the story wrong if we think that God was primarily listening to the prayers of the slave trader. No, Moss continues, what really happened was that the human cargo on Newton's ship those souls ripped away from their lives, their homes, and their families were moaning. They were grieving in the hold of the ship, and their moans began to come together into a hymn of lament. And as that hymn of lament swirled up into the heavens, God heard the strains of their song and said to the storm, I heard the song a different way. If we will venture into the deep waters, there we can learn the depths that our Lord would teach us. Oh, there's plenty to do in the shallow waters. But how much deeper will our faith become if we will put out into the deep waters and drop our nets there we might perhaps also find that our nets are filled to bursting. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.
let us confess our common faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. We are invited to cast our nets into God's abundance and to share what we have received with others. As we give our tithes and offerings today, we put our trust in the one who has called us to follow him, Jesus Christ, the great fisher of people.
generous God, we have known your unfailing love and faithfulness, your care and provision, your protection and salvation. And so we respond with deep gratitude, offering back to you a portion of what you have given us. Accept the gifts we bring, tangible expressions of our love and gratitude for what you have so generously given to us. Amen. Friends, this is the joyful feast of the people of God. They will come from east and west and from north and south to sit at table in God's kingdom. According to Luke, when the disciples were with the risen Lord at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it. And that is when their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This table is the Lord's table. Our Savior invites all who trust in him to share in the feast which he has prepared for us. Let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, O God of mercy and might. In your wisdom you made all things and sustained them by your power. You have called forth your people in every age to be your servants and speak your word. When we rebelled against your call and turned from your ways, in your love you called us back to you. You delivered us from captivity and made covenant to be our sovereign God. You sent prophets to call us to justice and compassion. Therefore we praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of heaven and with all the faithful of every time and place, who forever sing to the glory of your name. holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, in whom you have revealed yourself, our light and our salvation. Baptized in Jordan's waters, Jesus took his place with sinners, and your voice proclaimed him your beloved. Your Spirit anointed him to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, to restore sight to the blind, to free the oppressed. He lived among us in power and grace, touching lives, broken lives with your healing peace. And by the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. So remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming. With thanksgiving, we offer our very selves to you to be a living and holy sacrifice dedicated to your service. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. 
by your Spirit, make us one with Christ, that we may be one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. O God, as you once claimed us in the Spirit's waters and number us among your own beloved, give us power to do your work, to show your love, and to live holy and joyful lives. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory, and we shall feast with all your saints in the joy of your eternal realm. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor are yours, Almighty God, now and forever. And hear us as we pray the prayer our Savior taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. On the night before he died on the cross, Jesus gathered for supper with his friends and disciples. He took the bread, blessed it, and gave thanks to God, and broke it, and shared it with his friends, saying, Take and eat, all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat it, do so in remembrance of me. After supper, he took a cup of wine and shared it with his friends, saying, Drink this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Every time we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the saving life, death, and resurrection of our risen Lord until he comes again. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast. Let us pray. God, who takes care of each one of us, thank you for feeding us with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. Now send us out into the world to tell everyone about your love. Amen.
now as God's beloved who have been to the table of Jesus Christ in the sure and certain knowledge that you will return to this table in this life or in the life that is yet to come. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance on you and those you love and give you peace, both this day and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.